Oh, come on, try and be awake at the beginning. <laughs> I mean, it might be boring, you might be asleep at the end, but try and be awake at the beginning. Okay, good morning, everybody. Excellent. So, it's sheep day. Not that awake. In sheep town. And I'm preaching on the good sheep herder. Don't you just love it when a plan comes together? We get so excited when our planning works, honestly. It's more exciting than nearly anything else at all. Um, As I was preparing for this, I uh, I came across an old story, and uh, it's a story about Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. And Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went on a camping trip. Of course they did. And after a good meal and a bottle of wine, they lay down for the night and went to sleep. Some hours later, Holmes awoke and nudged his faithful friend. Watson, look up at the sky, he said, and tell me, what do you see? Watson replied, I see millions and millions of stars. Sherlock Holmes asked, what does that tell you? Watson pondered for a moment. Astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Orologically, I deduce that the time is a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is omnipotent and that we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you? Holmes was silent for a moment, and then he spoke. Watson, you fool! Someone has stolen our tent! (laughs) Sometimes we miss the obvious, don't we? and get all caught up in the complex. You see, the Pharisees were beginning to see the obvious in Jesus. He had said, I forgive you, to a woman caught in adultery that had nothing to do with him. He had healed a blind man on the Sabbath. And Jesus was beginning to make some pretty outrageous claims and they were beginning to see the obvious. He had already said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. What on earth is he going to say next? Because every time he used the words, I am, for them there were echoes of the name of God revealed to Moses. When he said, I am, these were claims that would lead Jesus to be crucified on a cross and accused of blasphemy. I am said, I am equal to God. I am the revelation of God. And the Pharisees saw exactly what Jesus was saying when he made these claims. They saw the obvious, and to them it was outrageous. And whenever we look at these words that Jesus says, in the Gospels, particularly these words in John's Gospel, we need to grasp something of what would have been heard by the people who were listening to him at that point. 
You remember from the other times that we've both told you this, that um, the Jews had to learn the Torah. They all had to learn the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. And those that were cleverer, they got to learn the whole Old Testament off by heart. Obviously, it wasn't the Old Testament. It was all that they had at that point. But they got to learn it all off by heart. So whenever Jesus said something... It all flooded back into their mind. They knew it so well. So when Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, their minds would immediately have jumped to a passage in Ezekiel chapter 34, and they would have understood what he was saying in the light of what Ezekiel had said at this time. So if you have a Bible or some electronic device with a Bible on it, if you'd like to turn to Ezekiel 34, because we're just going to spend a few moments in there understanding some of the things that help us to understand what Jesus was saying. This is a whole chapter of accusations against those who shepherd Israel, the leaders of Israel. Obviously, at that point, the leaders were both spiritual leaders and state leaders, if you want. There wasn't There was an overlap between the two people that God was speaking to at this point. But he's challenging the leaders of Israel. It says at the beginning, The word of the Lord came to me, that's Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to the shepherds of Israel. And here we go. These are the things that God is challenging them about in these first couple of verses. He says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. So the first thing he's challenging them about is that they've exploited the flock in order to fatten themselves up. Totally self-centered. They are only interested in what the flock can do for them, not what they can do for the flock. And then he goes on in verse um, 4. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. They haven't shown any of the pastoral qualities that you would expect of a shepherd in looking after the weak and the defenseless. They have only concerned themselves with themselves and their own well-being. And then verse 5, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. That's the third accusation. Their job is to keep the flock safely. That's what Phil was talking about last week when we were looking at the gate, to protect them. But instead of doing that, they've allowed them to be scattered over the whole earth and to be prey for the other nations. That's the wild animals as a metaphor for the other surrounding nations there. So God challenges them. He accuses them. He says, you've not been doing what it is you're supposed to be doing. You haven't been carrying out your responsibilities. And so in verse uh, 11... This is what God says to them after he's challenged them some more, saying broadly the same things for another few verses. He says this, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for the sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. 
I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. So God says, because you haven't done this, I will do it. I'm going to step in. I'm going to do all the things that the shepherds didn't do. I'm going to rescue those who stray. I'm going to find the lost. I'm going to feed them and make sure they've got good pasture. I'm going to tend to the flock. I'm going to look after the weak and bind up the ailing and the injured. I will do it. Pretty powerful words that God speaks to the people at that time. And then in verse 23, he says this. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So God says, you haven't done a great job. I'm going to step in and do this, but I'm going to appoint a representative to shepherd the flock, which is going to be King David at this point in time. So all of this is the backdrop to what the Jewish people, especially the Pharisees, are hearing when they hear Jesus say into this context, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Now our word good is a bit mediocre, isn't it? Whenever we ask our kids anything about their lives, the answer is good. That's unless it's bad. But routinely it's good even if it's bad. I mean, good is just a catch-all. How's the day been? Good. Did you have a nice time away? Yeah, it's good. How's this? Good. It's just just nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Slightly, fractionally better than nice, but not much. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and we sort of think of kind of wishy-washy pictures, kind of goodness, which is... When we did the fruit of the Spirit, it was a bit of a tough one because we kind of go, who wants to be good anyway? But it kalos, this word kalos in the Greek, also means beautiful. And people wanted to be where Jesus was. It can mean noble or excellent or genuine or honorable. Now that has a bit of teeth, doesn't it now? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd." Everything in Ezekiel is about bad shepherds. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And trust me, the Pharisees will have heard exactly what he was saying in that moment. The Jews were expecting a Messiah who would combine the roles of king and shepherd together. Like David. David was appointed as the representative shepherd over Israel. He was also king. The metaphor for shepherd is about rulership and leadership. It's not just about shepherds looking after sheep as we understand it. And so the Jews were expecting a Messiah who would shepherd them, but would be a king. 
There's the Old Testament prophecies of the shepherd ruler. And one of those we read quite a lot at Christmas time. You might like to turn to it. It's in Micah. Micah's before Nahum. That's going to help you a lot, isn't it? One day you might meet him. It would be good if you said, I've read your book. Or at least one verse. See, it was in my Bible at the 9.15, but it's now not anymore. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. Can't find it. It's after Jonah. I can't find that either. Oh, look, I found Mike in a... <laughs> Just to give you time. All right. So, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Says, Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. You'll be familiar with this bit. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old and from ancient times. Then verse 4. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. So we have them looking for a ruler who will shepherd the flock, but there's this kind of long-term messianic vision of what will come, not just in the immediate, but for all time, that he will rule over the nations and there will be peace. Jesus captures some of the images of the shepherds when he talks about Israel being like a scattered shepherdless flock. Claire, I'm glad that you prayed that because I was about to, but it was much nicer that you did. I was thinking about everybody in sheep day out in the high street, you know, that Jesus would be looking going, they're like sheep without shepherds on sheep day. They are sheep, but with no shepherds. That's what Jesus did. He captured the images from the Old Testament and he brings them in. He applies them to himself. But we're looking here at the shepherds as a ruler, as a king, as a leader. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This word is really significant in its context. Jesus is saying the king of the kingdom will be like this. The king of the kingdom will be like this. Now, it seems to me, and Phil kind of referenced it earlier really as well, that there's a bit of a crisis in leadership at the moment across the globe, isn't there? Pick your winner. You can have the Chinese president, the Russian president, sorry if I've got their titles wrong, Donald Trump, or the chancellor of Germany, who frankly shouldn't be in that picture really, but she was on the picture. So, You know, there is a crisis in leadership, either because of the character of the people or their capacity to lead, or because like Angela Merkel's stepping down, so there's a crisis in leadership there. But globally, we have a crisis in leadership. And what we see around us in the world is what we tend to emulate it, it filters down into the church sometimes. It filters down into a culture. If the high-level leaders are like one thing, then other people become like that as well, which is properly worrying, isn't it? And I took about three seconds to think of a few words that to me describe what global leadership was like at the moment, and these are the words I came up with. Disappointing, depressing, corrupt, self-seeking, ambitious, lacking integrity, and entitled me about three seconds to think of those. 
We're not in a great place, are we? Across our globe. Sometimes it's true to say that even in the church, some of these things are things that we see. Now, we, Phil made it very clear last week. Sometimes we will disappoint you. But that's a bit different than leadership being disappointing. We may deal with depression. That's a lot different than leadership being depressing. So I just want to say that. But these are not values that Jesus would want us to have, are they? These are not values that are part of his kingdom. And it begs the question, doesn't it? Is there another way to lead? Is there another way to lead? Is there, is there another way we could do life than the way that is currently going on around us? And we're not looking now at the same kind of thing as in Israel where our spiritual leaders and our state leaders you know, are much the same thing. It's not some kind of change the religion, Sharia law, state type of thing. We, it, it, life is different now, but is there a different way to lead which represents the leadership that Jesus gives to us when he says, I am the good shepherd. Because it seems to me that Jesus still stands in the middle of our cultural context and says, I am the good shepherd. Follow me. Follow me. If you want leadership, follow me. If you want the values of the kingdom, follow me. If you want shepherding, follow me. So what does it feel like to be shepherded? by Jesus. What does it feel like to be shepherded by Jesus? I thought I'd turn it around. We'll go back to John chapter 10, shall we? First of all, we are known. Some of this will overlap with some of the things that Phil said last week. That's fine. You just get to hear them twice. (laughs) We are known. Verse 3. He calls his own sheep by name. And verse 14, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I mean, there is nothing better than being known, really. Being understood. Everything about you, your background, your hopes, your fears, your dreams, your needs. The complexities of who you are as a person. To be known. And Jesus knows us by name. And I have spent the whole week teasing Phil about how he managed to choose the name Viv for a sheep (laughs) out of all the names in the universe. But you know, maybe someone needed to hear that. No one's told Phil that they did yet, but you know, (laughs) maybe they did. Yeah, he knows us by name. He knows us by name. And we know him. There's a story told about an Australian shepherd who was charged with, sorry, not an Australian shepherd, an Australian who was charged with stealing sheep. And he protested and he said, no, no, the sheep are mine, the sheep are mine. And then somebody else said, no, actually, the sheep are mine. And so they went to court together. And the judge, being a very wise person, said, "Um, let's bring the sheep in, see what they have to say about this. So they brought the sheep in. And then he sent the plaintiff out, the one who'd been caught with the sheep. And he said, call them. So he called them. Nothing happened. So then he sent the defendant out. He said, call them. And as he called them, the sheep started running for the door. And he said, he knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. Case dismissed. Well, whether it's true or not. You know, the point is made, isn't it? 
that actually Jesus knows us and we know him. And we know him with the same level of intimacy, Jesus says, that we know him just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Wow, I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? We're not just talking about, you know, Facebook friends. We're not talking about an acquaintance. We're talking about the same level of knowing that the Father knows Jesus and Jesus knows the Father. We are known. When we are shepherded by Jesus, we are known. And in an increasingly isolated world, we are known by Jesus. We are served. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. You know, there's nothing glamorous about being a shepherd, like nothing. I mean, all the pictures you've seen, which all look all pristine, forget them. There's nothing glamorous. They are devoted to the welfare of the sheep. Their whole life is dominated by the needs of the sheep. You can't just decide to go on holiday for two weeks if you've got a bunch of sheep to look after. You have to be there. They're dirty, and so the shepherd is. The tasks are menial, strengthening weak sheep, binding up injured, bringing back the ones who've strayed off, seeking to heal the sick. Jesus serves us. You remember the issues that Peter had when Jesus wanted to wash the disciples' feet? He's like, no, no, it's fine. Don't need you to wash my feet. I mean, the disciples weren't doing great at serving Jesus at that point, but nor did Peter want Jesus to serve him. But Jesus serves us. He's looking out for us all the time. He serves us to the very point of laying down his life for us. You know, Phil was speaking about that last week, wasn't he? That the, the shepherd looks out for us. The shepherd looks out for us in a way that a hired hand never will. Whatever it costs the shepherd to look after the sheep, he will give. That's the kind of way that Jesus serves us. And we are led, with or without an A, sorry. It says in verse 3 to 4, The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Western shepherds drive sheep with dogs and tractors. Eastern shepherds lead sheep. They have small flocks of sheep. They walk in front of them and the sheep follow. They follow. Now... Let's do this together, shall we? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He guides me in paths of righteousness. Should we do that again? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. He leads us. He leads us. The issue is, are we following? And are we following quickly? Are we looking where he's going? Are, are we listening to his voice? Or are we not? He feeds us. 
verse 9. He will come in and go out and find pasture. You know, it's the main concern of the shepherd, isn't it? The health of the sheep depends on the nutritious pasture, things that are appropriate to them. Jesus feeds us. He feeds us from his words. He feeds us in the maturity of our relationship with him in spending time together. He feeds us as we worship. You know, most of the songs that we sing are frankly brilliant, but they're mainly brilliant if you engage with them. Like if you read the words and you go, yes, I will do that. I choose to do that. I choose to believe that. I let this truth, because most of the truths, in fact, all of them really, come out of this. So if the truth of the word goes through the songs and into your heart, you are fed by that if you engage with the feeding process. If you just let it go over the top of you, or you think, oh, I don't like the tune, or you're not engaging with it, it can't feed you. But if you choose, it's the same with prayer. If you choose to spend time in the presence of God, you choose to engage in that conversation with him, then you are fed because the shepherd leads us to the right places, the right kind of pasture to nourish us. We are ruled. There is a bit of discipline, isn't there, if you've got a flock of sheep. I mean, I used to watch One Man and His Dog with my dad. It was one of my favorite things on the telly. And, and some of them were hopeless. I mean, hopeless. And up at Scargill, um, I've, I'm trying to think whether I did this. I probably didn't. But I watched some people with somebody else's sheepdog and a whistle try to get those sheep together. It's hilarious. You know, they need a bit of ruling. And the shepherd rules them. He has two things, a rod and a staff. The, the, rod, the first one, the crook, is, you know, the curvy one, is to, um, is to catch the sheep if they try to wander off. doesn't look that friendly. The Hebrew word is noam. It's actually translated as pleasantness, graciousness, or grace. That's like not immediately what you think when you see a shepherd's crook, is it? But it's grace that extends and brings you back in again, brings you into a safe space. And then he has the staff, the club, to fight off wild animals and any kind of thieves. Hovelim, which means bound together. It's a picture of the covenant, the discipline that keeps us in relationship with the shepherds, we are ruled because that's good for us to stay close to the shepherds. We are also guarded, and I don't need to say a lot about this, the gate, the shepherd lies down, he protects the sheep. The wolf is the main enemy, whereas the hired hand will just run off because he's like, well, I don't need to stay here and get damaged, They're not my sheep anyway. The good shepherd guards us with his own life from the enemy, ultimately in terms of sin, death, and hell. But every day, he guards us from the schemes and the attacks of the evil one. And then we are sought. Jesus says he came to find the lost sheep of Israel, the Gentile outsiders, to seek out all who belong to him. And we sung those words, didn't we? There's no mountain he won't climb up. Wall he won't tear down. No, what is it? I looked it up. See, I'm going to find it because I'm going to tell you. Right. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. When you sing that, do you believe that's true? I love that song. I don't always love how the tune's a bit difficult, but I love the song. 
I love it. When I was your foe, still your love fought for me. You know, this is our shepherd. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found. Is that not the good shepherd who does that? Not, oh, well, if it's easy. We have a joke in our house about when things go lost. I am like a terrier with a bit of rag when things get lost in our house. I cannot, cannot settle until I have found things. It doesn't matter how long it takes me. I will find whatever it is. It's, it's rarely mine. I get inside the headspace of all the members of my family. I think, where would this thing have got? I have found things in the oddest places. I cannot abide things being lost. I have to find them. You know, Jesus is like that. That's why this do you know him thing is really, really important. Because Jesus has compassion on those who are lost. Jesus is out seeking and he needs us to seek with him. He wants to bring people back so that they can be shepherded in this relationship with him. So, I'm going to finish soon, but I want to ask you a question. What kind of sheep are you? Because it's all very well us talking about all this. And we talk about the shepherd, but what kind of sheep are you? Are you super sheep? Are you the independent sheep? Are you doing it on your own sheep? Because actually, I think a lot of us are a little bit like this. We think we know where we're going. We think that we know how to do it. We think that we're fine. Sometimes we attribute all that is given to us by grace as ours. Are you that kind of a sheep, just going off doing it on your own? And actually, you need to be following the shepherd and listening to him. I borrowed this one from Phil last week. Are you the deaf-blind sheep? Are you somewhere and you don't even know that you have a bucket on your head, but you're not hearing the voice of the shepherd? And you're not seeing where he's going because you haven't taken the bucket off your head. I think all of us find ourselves in that place periodically. Are you a medical sheep? Are you self-diagnosing and self-fixing? Are you bringing your ailments, your wounds, your brokenness to Jesus and saying, Shepherd, diagnose me and heal me? I know doctors hate us looking at Google, even though it is the answer to all things. But I wonder if we're a little bit like that with Good Shepherds. We have our version of Google rather than go to the person who actually knows, who actually will give us the right wisdom and help us to move forward. Maybe you're this kind of sheep. This is a, a sheep with an identity crisis. This is a sheep who says, I don't want to be part of that flock anymore. I'd quite like to merge in with another flock. Thank you very much. And maybe we're finding ourselves in that place. Actually, we don't, we're not sure we want everyone to know that we belong to Jesus. So actually, we've changed our color scheme so that we merge in 
Maybe we need to own that we belong to the good shepherd, that we know him and he knows us. And here's the last one. Maybe you are a chef sheep. It's quite difficult to say that. A chef sheep. Feeding yourself, choosing your own nutrition. Maybe it's not the one that the shepherd knows that you need. Maybe you're snacking. Maybe your diet's unbalanced. Maybe you need to come and make sure that you're fed by the shepherd in order to be a healthy sheep. Jesus says, against the background of the Jewish history, of the leadership of his own day, which was hardly exemplary, the Jews or the Romans. Against all that has come before, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, and I chose this image carefully. I think this is actually an Afghan shepherd. I chose it because it's rugged, and it's tough, and he looks strong. And he looks like he knows what he's about. And our shepherd is not meek and mild. He is a shepherd who is tough and strong and noble and honorable, who has integrity and excellence. He is good. He can cope with every eventuality of all our lives, the valleys and the mountaintops and everything between. And I chose this image because most of them, the shepherds, is carrying a lamb. And whether we associate a lamb with all people, children or young Christians, I love this because he's carrying a whole sheep. (laughs) A whole sheep. And sometimes it doesn't matter how old you are or how long you've known the shepherds, you still need to be carried. And this shepherd is strong enough and courageous enough to carry the whole sheep. Maybe you'll find yourself in that place today, that actually you feel a bit sort of giant to be picked up by the shepherd, but nonetheless the shepherd can pick you up and he can carry you and it's fine actually because he's strong enough. I am the good shepherd.